John 13, 1-20, title of the sermon this morning is The Special Love of Jesus. Who doesn't love love? Even the person who hates love does so because of a broken heart at some point in their life. I know I just prayed, but I'm going to pray again and ask for the Lord's help as we open His Word. There's something uniquely offensive before it's delightful about the love of Jesus. So let's just pray and ask for the Lord's help with this. Jesus, I need your help. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd work. Um, this morning, open our eyes, open our ears to hear the truth of your word. Jesus, uh, you are amazing. And this story from John 13 of you washing the disciples' feet is humbling, is challenging. Um, it's amazing. Your servants are here listening. Open our ears to hear. God, I ask on behalf of every person that's here, from a child, from the children that are in the room, I pray that they would hear just a little bit. God, I know that we're never saved by our understanding, but by your grace. And so this morning, I pray you to just open their ears to hear what's, what's said this morning. And for the parents in the room, help them to take a few things that can be takeaways and, and talk to their kids about this. Um, and then for every adult that's in the room, help us to be changed just a little bit. We all walk in here with what Jesus is going to tell us in a little bit with dirt on our feet. We are cleansed. We are clean. we got dirt on our feet. And we want to be changed. Break the power of sin in our lives. We just, uh, just ask you to help us. Holy Spirit, I know that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just ask you a question. I asked the same question at the Christ Church Conference about three months ago when I opened the conference with a sermon titled The Cross and the Bride of Christ. And there are some similarities in today's sermon and passage from that sermon. The question I ask then is the same question I ask now. Do you know the special love of God? Or do you only know of the universal love of God? For God so loved the world. Universal love of God. Every man, woman, child who's ever lived or breathed on this earth, God so loved the world. I'm not talking about that love. The egalitarian, sameness, universal love of God for everyone. I'm talking about the special love of God that the Scriptures speak to. One example of that is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Note the passage does not read, Husband loves your wives as Christ loves the world and gave Himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave Himself up for her. The foundation of husbandry love, a man's love for his wife, the foundation for it, the soil out of which it grows, is in the special love of Jesus. Jesus loves the bride uniquely, and we all know this as husbands and as wives. Wives, if your husband looked at you and said, Baby, I love you the exact same way I love every other woman in this world. Your wife would say, excuse me? Absolutely not. The husband is called to love his wife specially and specifically because Jesus loves his wife, his bride, specially and specifically. This is the same about children. 
I don't love all kids the same. I love my kids way more than I love your kids. And I love your kids. I really do. I love your children. I enjoy seeing them run around. I don't love them like I love my sons. There's a special love that I have for them. And in fact, if I said I love your sons and your daughters the same way you love my kids, you'd be like, well, that's weird. You're like the only person on the planet that does that. You'd think it'd be quite strange. Your sons and daughters need to know your particular love for them, your specific love for them. Look them in the eye and tell them, I'm so glad out of all the kids in the world that you're my son. That you don't have any other father but me. You have a heavenly father, but God has entrusted you and given you to me to be an ambassador for him. We know special love exists in this world. But for some reason as believers, we get locked into this universal love and we miss beauty, truth, and wonder that's there for us in the special love of Jesus. I am to love my wife, Jordan, specially as Jesus loves his wife specially and gave himself up specially for her. And this morning, I want you to see the special love of Jesus in John chapter 13. So John chapter 13, verse 1 through 20. Look there with me. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around his his waist, wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward, afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place and said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am so. If then, if I then, your teacher, and your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen. But the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So the scene in John 13 opens up with a dinner. It's Passion Week, Thursday. Jesus is having dinner with the boys before the Passover, and he knows his hour to depart is at hand, and he has accomplished 
what he was supposed to he was supposed to accomplish in this world. He lived obediently to the law of God, but not only did he live obediently to the love to the law of God, but he loved God and others in this world. It's interesting the law of God has commands, things to do and not do, but also has commands in there about the heart. Love the Lord your God. Michael Kelly, I'll reference him two weeks in a row in his sermon at the Christ Church Conference, said it's a big difference to tell your kids, eat the asparagus. Because their kids, after hours on end staring at the asparagus, can finally hold their nose, get enough water to trace it down, you know, chew it up, and, and then finally get it down, gagging a few times, can get the asparagus down. But if he was to tell his kids, love the asparagus, that's a command that's totally different than eat the asparagus. And Jesus came and he fulfilled not only the do's and the don'ts, but the commands of the heart level. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And not only did he love the Lord and love his neighbor as himself, he also loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Now this is interesting. We already stated, for God so loved the world. But this is something unique. Because we're not talking about everyone. There are very few things that will rage somebody as much as telling them that God has the right to have special love. That humanity as a whole has not earned the exact same love from God. We've actually just earned judgment. Any love that God puts upon us is a sheer act of mercy and grace. And He has loved the world. He is benevolent in His love. And yet... We're told here that Jesus did something for His own. He loved His own. He loved them till the end. And this little verse, if you get this little verse, it will open up a world of wonder for you. That Jesus loved you to the end. I want you to know the special love of God. I really do. It's tied to the word grace. It's tied to the word gospel. Love. God loves you. You. Not just the world. You. God loves you. Jesus came and He loved you, His own, till the end. And many of us, many of the world, many Christians grow up, they become Christians, and they live this life, and they grow old, and they die, and they never know about the special love of God until they meet Jesus face to face. But God has revealed some things in His Word that's it's not even hidden. It's just in plain sight. There is this special love that those who are in Christ get to enjoy now. Things that we do not have to wait for for His return. Parts of the inheritance that are for right now. God loves you. If we got those three words, God loves you, if we were just to hover there, and understand the content in those three words. Just sit and think, Holy Spirit, help me to understand. God loves me. Me. It would change everything. Our proximity to Christ is not because of our special love of Him, but because of Jesus' special love of us. Let me say that again. Our proximity to Jesus is not because of our special love of Jesus, but because of Jesus' special love 
of us. Our special love of Jesus did not cause Him to especially love us. Jesus' special love of us caused us to love Him. It was the love of God. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. And we don't distinguish ourselves from the rest of humanity getting on God's good side because we have the one thing that everybody else in the world doesn't have. Something within us that just loves God. That is not the case. We are in proximity to Christ. We are in this room loving Him because God has bestowed upon you a special love, an eye-opening love, a heart-opening love. He has taken out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, all because of His mercy, all because of His grace. And in the same way that Dan this morning calls us to not boast in anything else, we in this room are here because God has loved you specially, specifically, called you by name. And it's His special love of you that has got you into this thing. It's not our special love of Him that finally bended His will and caused Him, fine, I'll love them. But He has loved us in such a way that it induced in us. It overwhelmed us. It caused us to say, what How could I not follow Him all the rest of my life? On the cross, yes, He loved the world, but Passion Week, it wasn't just these disciples He was loving to the end. It was Cale Favre. It was Ryan Deaton. It was Jordan Sparks. It was Brittany Newman. Lockhart. It's James Lockhart. It's Cohen Deaton. It's Micah. Kirk Caldwell. He loved you. Passion Week. Thinking about you. In a way that he wasn't thinking about those who would never know him. Especially. He loved them till the end. Jesus displays his special love time and time again. Are you a believer in Jesus? You can internally answer that question. Then know this. He was thinking about you and loving you till the end. Now the rest of this passage is kind of like a case study. What does this special love look like? It does get in and overflow into the universal love of God. But what does this special love look like? I want you to look at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Now it's interesting because the devil puts this into the heart of Judas Iscariot. And yet Jesus tells us that it was better for him to have never been born. Judas was responsible for his actions even though Satan induced him to do this. and Encouraged him to do this. He was still responsible. When the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, and tied it around his waist. Now we're told that all things were handed and put into Jesus' hand. We know from the Scriptures that Jesus has all authority, all authority in heaven and earth. He has it. 
There's no amount of authority that's withheld from him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The very earth, the very molecules, the, the atoms or molecules, whatever it is that this wood is made out of, he holds that together. This pulpit remains a pulpit because Jesus is actively present, holding it together right now, invisibly. He holds all things together. He has all this power. And how is Jesus going to use this power? Now it's interesting Power can be a dangerous thing. Power, money, sexuality, sex, sexuality, sex in general, alcohol, food. These are things in this world, technology, things in this world that are morally neutral that can be used in right and wrong ways. And we see the damage that's done when those sorts of things are used in the wrong way. All over the place. Power is one of those things. Power is used by so many to control, to get what you want, the person of power wants. When a good or bad boss is defined a bad, as a bad boss, it's because the bad boss is using the power that's in their hands and wielding it in the wrong way. They're using it in the wrong way. They're using it to control or to manipulate or to get what they want to make life easier for them and harder for you. But a good boss... We all know, hopefully you've had a good boss. A good boss does just the opposite. They use their power for the good of the employees. They use the power that's bestowed upon them to see other people flourish. What is Jesus going to do with his power? He has all power in the world. What is he going to do with it? Does he sit back and sit on his throne on this earth and demand from everybody else for them to gather around Him? Does He do something else with His power? It's interesting. We see that His power is yielded to the Holy Spirit. That His power is even wielded for good. Look at verse 5. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around Him. Jesus starts washing the feet at those at the table. Now many of you have heard this sermon preached before and it's been rightly preached. There's nothing new that I can offer here this morning. But this job was reserved, this job of washing feet was generally reserved for either slaves, non-Jewish slaves. This, this job was so menial that Jewish slaves were not recommended to do the work. Had to be a Gentile slave or, sorry ladies, a woman but not even a Jewish slave would be expected to wash the feet of guests. But it's fascinating the fact that they're here and already around, lounging around, gathered around in this house. It means that nobody had washed the feet of the guest. No one was assigned the task to do the work or somebody had a derelict of their responsibility and dropped the ball. Jesus took notice. Look at verse 6 and 7. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not now understand, but afterward you will understand. Now, this is interesting. Jesus is saying that what I'm about to do, you don't yet know, you're not going to yet know what I'm about to do to you. I'm going to do something, but you're going to need some help with this interpretation. 
You're going to afterward understand, but right now you're not going to understand. To be sure, there is going to be immediate application. Jesus does give some information about serving. What I've done, do this. But this afterward here is important for us to understand because we're going to see this passage opens up for us layers of understanding. We're going to have layer one that we're going to look at first of understanding, which Jesus is going to give us. The clear application that's going to come from washing the feet of the disciples. And then we're going to have layer two that has to do with this word afterward. Afterward, you will understand. There's two commentators that have been quite helpful in in helping me understand that this passage about washing the feet is about serving others, but it's also something about the work of Christ, about the cleansing work of Christ, about the forgiveness that he gives, and then also the dirt that collects on our feet, the Christian, the believer's feet, called sin. And this is clear for two primary reasons. One, one, A.W. Pink says this, in verse 4, notice it says, He rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments. Here's what Pink comments on about that passage. Everything here, we do not doubt, has deep symbolic meaning. The rising from supper and the laying aside of the garments pictured our Lord on the resurrection side of the grave. So even in this passage, there's indication, okay, there's, there's some sort of imagery here. We're seeing immediate application from the teaching, but there's some sort of metaphor here that's happening in the washing of the feet and the using of the word clean that's going to be helpful for us to understand. D.A. Carson says this, The afterward does not refer to after the foot washing, but to the passion to which the descent of the Spirit or excuse me, but the passion to which the foot washing points. After Jesus' death and exaltation, and certainly after the descent of the Spirit who comes in consequence of the tragic and glorious event, then they will understand. So two layers of understanding to what's going on here in verses 8 through 11. Layer 1, Jesus' teaching about serving. I have served. I have washed your feet. You, and go wa- you go and wash feet. You're not greater than your master. You're a servant. You go and wash feet. We'll get to that in a second. Layer two requires us being on the other side of Jesus' death, resurrection, and Pentecost. And voila, here we are. On the other side of Jesus' death, resurrection, and Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's descent. The afterward. So we'll be able to see some things about this passage that the disciples, even as they heard Jesus teaching this, did not yet understand. Look at verse 8 through 11. Peter said this to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And I love this. Peter, Simon Peter, ever as goofy as he is, Um, immediately changes the tune of the song he's singing to Jesus. No, you can't ever do this. Jesus says, fine, no share with me if I don't wash you. And Peter says, (laughs) pipes back, verse 9, Simon Peter said, Lord, not not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew he was going to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. So the dialogue goes like this. Jesus goes, the towel is wrapped around his waist, he bends down, he's washing the disciples' feet. By the way, Judas is sitting there, Judas' feet was washed as well, which is important for us to understand here in a minute. He gets to Peter, and 
Peter's like, Jesus, uh, you're going to wash my feet? He's thinking, if, if anybody should be washing anyone's feet here, I should be doing the feet washing. I'm not going to let you wash my feet, Jesus. I'm, I'm too dignified in this moment to watch you, my master and Lord, wash my feet. Uh-uh. Jesus, uh, you have no share with me then. This, this is something spiritual. Okay? Jesus takes it. You have no share with me then. What, what is he doing? He's giving us insight to know, yes, there is a deeper meaning here than washing feet. How can you not have share with Jesus without just physically washing feet? He's talking about something spiritual here about being cleaned and the dirt on their feet. This is something to do with sin and cleansing what Jesus is on the road to do. He's walking to Calvary, and there's things for us to understand in this passage, looking from this way back. And we see it even here in the passage. If, if, you don't, if I don't wash you, you have no share. Peter, okay, well then my, my hands and, and my head as well. And Jesus said, no, just your feet. You're clean already, except for your feet, Peter. But oh, by the way, not everybody here is clean. There's that Judas. Well, okay, what's this all mean? So layer one understanding, verse 12 through 17. Layer one understanding, the immediate application from this teaching. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment, resumed his place, and said, do you understand what I've done to you? Well, they didn't. So Jesus is going to tell them. You call me teacher and Lord. You're right. For I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, and you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Layer one. Jesus says, if I wash feet, so should you. Well, we got to ask, when I went to college, my formal education is in a Pentecostal school. I'm thankful for my school and the things that I learned there. But they turned this command and made it sacramental. So they had three sacraments or ordinances. The uh, baptism, communion, and foot washing. And I reject that understanding of this passage. I do not believe that Jesus is only talking about physically washing people's feet. Now, certainly there can be good things, and there has been good things historically. Monday, Thursday services, foot washing services. God has done a lot to use that ritual, that thing, to be able to break the bondage of unforgiveness and those sorts of things. That is true and right. There's been many examples of that. But in this passage, Jesus is not only talking about feet washing. He's talking about the position of servant. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to model for us, live, die for us substitutionarily, but he also came to live as an example and said, hey, look, live like this. This is, this is how life, the perfect life looks. This is what it looks like. The orientation of the world is not first, you are more significant than me. The orientation of the world is first, I am more significant than you. What can I get from you? What can you do for me? Um, it's all about you. No, it's not. But that's a message that resonates with the human heart. Good, finally, somebody's making me a priority. I should be. I'm glad the world's finally recognizing it's all about me. Thank you, First Mid Bank of Illinois, their billboard. It's all about you. 
It's not. But inside, the human heart, left to itself, is like, finally the world's recognizing. It is. And here is Jesus from the inside out saying, posture yourself in such a way, if I'm washing your feet and taking the lowliest position in the room, a position reserved, not even Gentiles are for Jewish slaves, and I'm doing this that it would be a benefit to you, live like this. Live in such a way, when you look to other people, you think, how can I serve them? How can I take a position that's low? How can I live in such a way, what, what would it look like for me to live in such a way that they flourish and they walk out of the room better for me being in it? How can I be a neighbor and a friend in such a way that I'm not using them to bring me laughter? Are using them to bring me joy? Are using them to bring me esteem or a pat on the back? Jesus, the first layer application is, hey, I've done this, so should you. If Jesus is in the position of servant and he used his power to serve, so should his followers. Now, notice Jesus washed Judas's feet. He's about to send him off. He knows the enemy had already put it into his mind and to his heart to do this thing. But as they're sitting around the table, there's a moment in time where Jesus gets to Judas' feet and he takes those dirty feet out and he begins to wash them. Most assuredly, I would think, would look up to him at some point, see the face of the one who would turn him in. And here he is in this act of service, washing the very one who would turn him in to the Roman authorities. Now, it's fascinating to me. Our service is not only and shouldn't only be to brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is going to tell us that Judas is not clean. But he washes his feet anyways. Now, I think it's important for us to realize, if Josh, that Dan spoke to, never becomes a Christian, this is still what God's called Dan to do us to do is pray, serve, love. This is God's common grace to people who will never repent and believe. We are called to serve anyone and everyone in this world. And here is Jesus serving, wiping in the lowliest sorts of way. This isn't like, you know, th- this isn't like me going to Taco John's and there's the person there that, that like doesn't have a dollar. This is, this is like actively looking for ways. How can I count the person who has nothing as more significant than me? Can I be honest? There are times that I think I'm pretty significant. Like significant enough that my children should go right to bed. They should know me well enough and love me enough to know that they should just go straight to sleep. There's times that I think I'm significant and I'm important. And I think that's probably true about you as well. Jesus is coming here, and just like within Philippians chapter 2, it's the same thing. If, Hey, what would it look like for you to be thinking about how you could serve those who are more significant than you all around you? doesn't mean self-loathe. doesn't mean think less of yourself. It means just stop thinking about yourself so stinking much. So first layer application is 
serve. Our service is not limited to those who are in the body of Christ, but it's out there. And I think it's important for us to look for opportunities to begin to serve neighbors, friends, non-believers, whoever it may be. Love them. Serve them. This is the grace of God to them through you. This is the heart posture of the believer. You are more significant than me. How can I serve you? Verse 17, we're told blessed, and it's interesting, in the Hebrew and even in the Greek, the King James, I believe, translates this word blessed to happy. Blessed are you or happy are you if you do them. The lie of the enemy is that if you serve other people, if you make your life others-oriented and live for the glory of God and the good of others, it's going to rob you of joy. True, la- true happiness, true life comes through getting people to give you what you want and controlling situations to make sure the outcome comes just the way you want it. And if you can just kind of get the puppet fingers out and make things just happen exactly the way you want them to happen, then you will be happy. But happiness comes through this idea of, I'm your slave. What can I do for you? I'm going to willingly give myself to you. Now, the challenge is there. Happy are those who exist to see other people grow and flourish. Happy are those, blessed are those who exist to see other people grow and flourish. So that's the first layer understanding of this passage. It's clear Jesus tells us, you understand it? No, okay, well here, let me teach you what this first layer application is. Second layer application. Second layer of understanding. Post-death, resurrection, Pentecost understanding. The afterword goes like this. Verse 8. If Jesus does not wash you, you have no share with Him. This is the testimony of all of the Bible. If you are not in Christ, there is no hope for heaven, hope of heaven, eternal life, the restoration of all things. It is not yours. There is not hope to be cleansed except in Christ and Christ alone. No share with Christ apart from Him washing you clean. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash me. Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So the claims of the Christian faith and the exclusivity of the Christian faith is not a figment of Christian's imagination. The offense of the cross, the fact that Jesus says things like this, people have to come face to face, not with what Christians say about Jesus, but what Jesus says about Jesus. This is not us taking His words and twisting them. This is Jesus saying, if, you don't, if I don't wash you, you can't be clean. There's no other way. I don't care how altruistic you live your life. I don't care how much you serve at the local food pantry. I don't care how much you give yourself away and try to just follow Jesus' example. You can follow Jesus' example and you can still be damned if He doesn't wash you. You must be washed. You must be cleansed. Verse 9 Peter clearly changes his tune because Peter at first, he's kind of proud, too proud for Jesus to wash his feet. It's representative of the way of the world. No, no, Jesus, you don't need to die for me. I've got this. I can do it myself. I can make myself right with God. I can cleanse myself. And Jesus is like, no, you can't. Nope. You'll have no share with me then. This is representative of the world. No. 
You're not going to wash me. I got this. I got this. After Jesus tells him, you can't have any share with me, he changes his tune clearly. You know, he said, you know, just literally a 180. Changes his tune, okay, fine. My hands and my feet. And Jesus corrects him. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. Now, those who are bathed, those who are cleansed, those who are saved, Jesus says, are completely cleansed. Those who have bathed, this is symbolic of the salvation work of Jesus, the cleansing away of sins. You are completely clean. Clean. Justified. Forgiven. We can tag this word justified in this passage and say, if you're clean, if you're washed, you're saved, you're declared righteous, you are forgiven totally, finally, and fully. Past, present, future, sins, the gavel is dropped, you are clean. It says in verse 10, the second half, and you are clean. This is a positional cleanness. Justified. Forgiven. Completely. It's a state of being. The one who's been cleansed by Jesus is in this position. Washed. But then Jesus says something that goes along the lines of this word sanctification. Jesus said, not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Now, this is true of every washed, positionally clean, forgiven, justified person in here. Sin still is in your life. It's just there. Every single believer deals with remaining sin. You are simultaneously justified, counted righteous. The very works of Christ counted as your very works. The very life of of Jesus counted as your very life. And yet the dirt remains on your feet. Jesus is still cleaning you up. He is the one, notice, that's still wiping the feet of the disciples. And He is the one who is still cleansing us and washing us from remaining sin. The life of the believer is a lifelong pursuit of Christ-likeness. It comes from a place of rest because the work is finished. We're not working and being sanctified, earning anything from God. We're not getting busy to get God's attention or His favor. That's already won. It's already been won. We are working from a place of position, of forgiveness, of being counted righteous. But here is this dirt that just remains on our feet. And even though we are clean, this sin remains. i got to ask you, some of you, the older you get, your sin gets more like, uh, um, dignified. Because used to, your sin was really obvious. It was pornography. Or it was blatant acts of rage and anger. Or it was stealing on your taxes or tax return or something. It was road rage. Real obvious sin. The older we get, the longer we walk with Jesus. It kind of like gets sneaky a little bit. It's more dignified. It comes out with things like false humility. False humility is so dangerous because it's, we actually convince ourselves we're humble. And other people kind of think, yeah, you're humble. That person's humble. But it's false. It's sneaky. It's the kind of sin that will win you praises from people. 
But internally, you're doing it for the praises. Not because you love them. Sin gets sneaky. It's not as big and obvious in front of Let me ask you this. What sin are you currently being cleaned up from? What is Jesus doing in you right now? Taking your feet. What is he cleansing from your life? For some of you, that's obvious. And for others, you know, I don't know. I don't know what sin the Holy Spirit is ridding me from. We should. We should. Just kind of let that hover. What's the Holy Spirit doing in you? What sin are you being cleaned up from right now? The coasting Christian is an unrepenting Christian. The life of a believer is repentance the rest of our life. What's the Holy Spirit doing in you? Changing in you right now? How is Jesus taking the sin that's been forgiven from you and now He's breaking the power of sin in your life? Cleaning you up. Justification. Sanctification. Christians are those who have been washed and fully forgiven, yet struggling and still walking at times in sin. Struggling daily with sin. The love commands, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I struggle with that, that, that command every day. With all of my mind, with all of my energy, with all of my being. Love God today. It's hard. I need help. And Jesus is cleaning my feet because there's days that I don't love Him with everything in me. Like every day. So He's cleaning me and He's shaping me. The battle of lust and the battle of anger and selfishness. Can I just admit that, that still is, those battles are still real for me? Of self-centeredness. And I read a passage like this to count others more significant in myself. And I can in external action at times model that clearly. Where people, well, isn't Jared just a great guy? In times where Jordan's like, baby, you, I love you, you're just so great. And then there's time internally where I'm just, I'm a jerk. I am the most selfish man. I did that because I wanted people to recognize me. I said that because I wanted them to say something about me. What do, what do all Christians need? Right now, we need Jesus. That's what we need. We need Jesus. We need to sit down with Him and have Jesus kind of take our shoes off. Just clean us up a little bit. The promise of the believer is that He will, not only did He die for us, His bride, but He's cleaning us up. We come to Him. Jesus, I need my feet washed again today. I need to be clean again today. I need you to change me. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. There's no condemnation. So Jesus, break the power of sin in me. Clean my life up. The special love of Jesus, the fact that He loved you His own, He loved you till the end, it also means that He is committed to you right now, to washing your feet right now, to cleaning up your life right now, to breaking the power of sin in your life right now. And His heart and mind is on you now in ways that it isn't on everybody in the world. He loves His bride. You. And that's why he tells me, love your wife, Jared, like that. 
Not like I love everybody, like I love you. The special love of Jesus means that He's committed to us now. He's washing us now. The special love of Jesus is toward the believer. I want you to hear this. He died for you. To forgive your sins, to make you His bride, to clean you up until you were without spot or blemish or any such thing, and then after all that, present you to Himself without spot or blemish. Let's finish. Go to verse 18 in chapter 13. Verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen. Now it's interesting. Here it is again. He's speaking and he says, I'm not speaking to all of you. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted His heel against me, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you will believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus tells us that His special love is reserved for His chosen. Certainly, He loves the world. The Scriptures are full of that and calls all men and women everywhere to repent and come to Him. But those who are outside of Christ will never know the special love. They will think and will like, rightly think that they have claim to the re- universal love of God. God's universal love is upon them. But they will know nothing of the special love of Jesus. If you don't want Jesus this morning, if you're in this room and you don't know Him, if you've never surrendered to Him, you will never know about that. But if you surrender to Him, if you will taste and see that He is good this morning you can know the special love that Jesus has for you. And if you're in Christ this morning, don't look at the special love of Jesus with begrudging frustration. How dare you love me like that and not love everybody like that. He's free to look to you just like I am my son and my wife. The foundation for me looking and saying, baby, I love you. And I'll never love another woman like I love you. Ransom, Valor, I love you. And there's no kid in this world that I love like you. I love you, son. And Jesus turns to us, says, Kathy, I love you. Andy, I love you. I love you. You're mine. If you're in Christ, you've been loved. Loved even now in your sins. Jesus still is taking up those dirty feet and washing them clean. We are loved by Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your commitment. Thank You for Your commitment to dirty feet. All of us in here who are in Christ are clean right now. The Holy Spirit, I'm asking You to open our heart and our mind to areas of our life that we have dirty feet. And we come to You and Take off those shoes and put those bunions and nasty toes out there and you would clean us up and you would change us. It's interesting that feet, dirty feet. I used to not like feet at all. Just feet, stinking feet. And this is what sin is. It's not pleasant. And yet for every one of us in here, we're still walking in it in some area of our lives.
It's not good for us. And so rid us from it. Change us. We're asking you to do that, Jesus. Help us. Give us the power. Change our heart. Help us to repent. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.